It was the summer of 1995. I was 16 years old. I was getting my driver's license. I had a full head of hair. And somewhere in California, Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer were dancing to the Rolling Stones on stage because Microsoft had just released the revolutionary Windows 95 software. Uh, up until this point, computers were really only used in the office, only used by computer geeks. But Windows 95 had the intention of putting computers into everyone's home. It was a very revolutionary idea at the time. And one of the key components to this software was the start button. One of the things that intimidated people about computers was when they opened up the computer, when they turned it on, they didn't know where to start. They didn't know what to do. And so this seemingly small thing, this little button on the screen that simply said start was really a turning point for computers being part of really everyone's everyday lives. It started with knowing where to start. And as we are in this series on the church and what it means to be called together, we are going to the place where we need to start. Baptism is the start button. Baptism is where it all begins for the new believer. Baptism is where it all begins for the church. The Christian life starts with baptism. Life in the church starts with baptism. Now, one of the problems is, is we tend to separate the Christian life from life in the church. The New Testament doesn't allow that. The New Testament has no concept for someone who is living as a Christian and who is somehow separated from a local church. The Christian has no concept for, of, of a Christian who is not baptized, who has not started, who has not engaged in the life of a local church. And so today we are going to start. We are going to start looking at the church by looking at baptism. Our definition that we introduced last week of a local church is that the local church is a body of baptized believers devoted to the teaching of the word, prayer, singing, giving, fellowship, and the Lord's Supper, organized under the shepherding care of a plurality of elders, and united together in love and in the mission of making disciples of all nations for the glory of God. Our definition starts with baptized believers. Our definition starts that way because the New Testament starts that way. And as we think about the different uh, illustrations of the church, if the church is an embassy, then baptism is our passport. If the church is a building, then baptism is the doorway into that building. If the church is a family, then baptism is the, the first cry of the newborn once they are born. Baptism is step one. Baptism is where it starts, not just for the church, but for the Christian life. The, our passage uh, this morning was read from Romans chapter 6. The assumption is as Paul is writing to the New Testament church, to the church in Rome, the assumption is that they all have already been baptized. Because they are Christians, they've been baptized. Because they're part of a church, they must have been baptized. Baptism is where it starts. And so our aim today is to understand what does baptism mean? 
A baptism, or to be baptized, is one of these words we use in the Christian church that hasn't been translated, it's been transliterated. When you translate a word, you take the meaning of the word in one language and then assign a new word in another. When you transliterate, you simply take the sound of that word in its language and apply it into a new language. So baptism has been transliterated from the Greek word baptizo. Now, baptizo, if we were to translate that word, it would be to dip or to dunk or to immerse. To, to baptize is to put someone or something completely under water. That's what the word means, and that's how the word is used. We first learn about baptism with John the Baptist, and it says in Mark chapter 1 verse 5 that he was baptizing in a certain area. It says in the Jordan River, because baptism involved putting people underwater. It happened in the Jordan. In John chapter 3 verse 23, it says that John was baptizing in this area because the water was plentiful there. You need a lot of water to baptize, because baptism is not just sprinkling, it's not just pouring, it involves immersion, it involves dipping, dunking. And so baptism, that is what the word means, and it's important also for us to understand why was John the Baptist baptizing? What was the purpose? There's a, there's, there's a historical context that we're not always familiar with when we're thinking about baptism. You see, Baptism pre-existed. It, it, it was something that was done before John the Baptist. It was something that was done before the New Testament. If, if a non-Jewish person wanted to become Jewish, they needed to, to undergo circumcision if they were a male, but they also needed to undergo baptism. Baptism was a way for outsiders to be brought in to the inside. That's why John's baptism got so much attention from the religious leaders. That's why so many crowds were coming out to him. It's because John was telling Jewish people, they already were Jewish people, and he was telling them that the Messiah was coming and that they too needed to be baptized. Baptism has always been understood as a doorway in, an entrance in, a way to move from being an outsider to an insider. And so that is where we find ourselves. This is where the church starts. This is where the Christian life starts. It is baptism. Jesus said, as he was declaring the mission of the church, remember the mission is upward and inward and outward. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To make disciples, the first thing you do, the way that it starts is to baptize them. This is where it all starts. So let's go back to where it all started. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to begin again. Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church in response to Peter's declaration that Jesus is the Christ. Let's, let's pick it up in Acts chapter 2 verse 36. Jesus said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ. He makes that rock-solid declaration. This is the foundation on which the church is built, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the Christ. This Jesus whom you have crucified. 
Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, here's where it starts. He says, repent and be baptized. This is where it begins. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now look down at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. They were dunked. They were dipped. They were immersed underwater. And, they were, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And they started to live as the church, the, the body and the building and the family. They were coming together. But it all began when they repented and they baptized. And they were baptized. You see, baptism is something that is physical and that is visible but it shows something that is going on that is spiritual and that is invisible. Baptism takes place in water and there's immersion in water and it happens under the, the leadership or the, or the direction of a local church. And baptism happens in water, physical water that's symbolic of the cleansing that all of us need. It, it takes place with immersion in water, symbolizing a death, a burial, and a resurrection. And it takes place in the context of a local church to show that that believer is now part of the universal church. They are now enthroned with Christ. They have had their position dramatically changed. And so we're going to look at these different aspects of baptism today, really in three categories of what baptism symbolizes and what it truly means. What is the spiritual and invisible reality that baptism symbolizes? So here's the first one. It's cleansing from sin. It's cleansing from sin. Baptism takes place in water. Water is the ultimate cleanser. Just this morning, uh, a bowl of cereal, a full bowl of cereal with the milk, and it was a mixture of granola and Cheerios, because my kids are that way, ended up face down, toppling onto the floor. And what do I do in that moment? I get some water. I get some cloths, but I get some water because water is what we use to clean. It's what we use to clean ourselves. It's what we use to clean our homes. Water is the ultimate cleanser. Peter said in Acts 2.38, we're right there. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You see, we all need forgiveness. We're all outsiders. We all need to be cleansed from our sins. Adam and Eve sinned against God. They used to walk and talk with him in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden, but they have been exiled out of Eden. They are outsiders. We are their descendants. We are just like them. All of us need to repent. All of us need to be cleansed from our sins. We need forgiveness, and that's what baptism pictures, removing the guilt and the stain of sin. Turn with me in Acts uh, chapter uh, 22, verse 16. Paul here is sharing his testimony. Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Paul recalling what Ananias said to him. He, Ananias said, rise and be baptized. Notice this, wash away your sins, calling on his name wash away your sins. Baptism, water baptism, is a picture of being cleansed from our sin. 
when we receive the word of the gospel, when we receive the message that Jesus suffered and died for us on the cross and that we can be forgiven when we repent, we picture that repentance. We picture that turning from sin, that cleansing from sin in water. This is made most clear in Peter's letter, in Peter's first letter. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 and find verse 20. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. Peter had just been talking about the flood and about Noah, and he was comparing the days that we are living in to the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, people were doing whatever they wanted to do, and they were ignoring that there was a God who created them, and they were ignoring the reality of sin. They were calling evil good and good evil. And Peter says that's just like the day in which the New Testament church is living in. And loved ones, it's just like the day we are living in. And after discussing Noah and drawing that parallel, Peter says this in 1 Peter 3, verse 20. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this, when he says this, he's talking about Noah and the flood, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, Peter here, drawing on this idea of water, makes reference to, to Noah. And, and Noah, by Noah, when Noah and his family got into that ark, that was their salvation. That was how they were saved. They came in the ark and they escaped the judgment of sin. And then Peter says that our faith in Jesus is like that. Noah and his family, they fled onto the ark. When we flee to the cross, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we escape the wrath that is to come, the punishment that all of us deserve for our sin. He says, baptism corresponds to this. And he says, listen, but let's not get it twisted here. When I'm talking about baptism, I'm not simply talking about, he says, I'm not simply talking about the, remo the removal of dirt from the body. When I'm talking about the cleansing of baptism, I'm not just talking about something that happens on the outside. He says, no, no, no. It is an appeal to God for a good conscience, something that happens on the inside. You see, baptism shows visibly and physically something that has happened personally and invisibly and spiritually in someone's life that they have been cleansed from their sin by appealing to God for a good conscience. You see, sin leaves a stain. We are guilty of the things that we have said, the things that we have thought, the things that we have done. There is a record being kept. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, those, rep those records are wiped away. And that is part of the picture of baptism. We are washing our sins. Not only is there guilt, but there is also shame associated with the things that we know that we have done. There are feelings that go along with that. And that has also been wiped away. We are impure. And we do not deserve to be brought into the presence of God. This is just like Adam and Eve were, were exiled from Eden. We are separated from God because of our sin. But in the gospel, because Jesus suffered and died for us, and baptism beautifully pictures this, we are washed, we are cleansed, we are called saints, which means holy ones. We are able to enter into the presence of the living God. Now, let's not stumble over what Peter says here when he says baptism now saves you. 
You see, some people have misunderstood this, particularly a Roman Catholics and other Christian cults misunderstand this teaching on baptism to say that in order to be saved, you must be baptized, that baptism is what saves you. Listen, baptism doesn't save you. Tap water doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. On the rock that Jesus is the Christ, that is where the church is built. That is where we place our faith. We don't put our faith in baptism. We place our faith in Jesus. Baptism does not produce salvation. It simply pictures salvation. So we need to be really, really clear about that. And Peter is clear about that. It's not the removal of dirt. It's not the exterior ritual. It is the appeal to God. It's something that happens on a spiritual level, the appeal to God for the good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus saves us, not baptism. But we need to be careful that as we emphasize the fact that baptism doesn't save us, we need to be very, very careful that we don't somehow downplay the importance of baptism. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. Listen, but baptism is necessary for obedience. It's not necessary for salvation, but it is necessary for obedience. So there is a danger in minimizing the importance of a baptism. So baptism uh, teaches us about the need for cleansing of sin. That's part of what it pictures. The, the next thing that baptism communicates to us, it, it happens in water, but we are immersed in water. The very word baptizo means to be dipped or dunked or immersed, and that is important because of the symbolism that is connected to baptism. So turn with me in your Bibles now to Romans chapter 6. This is the passage that was read to us uh, earlier in the service. Romans uh, chapter 6 and find verse 3. Paul writes to the church at Rome, writing to Christians at Rome. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore with him Sorry, we were therefore buried, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is a, a parallel passage to Colossians chapter 2 verses 11 to 12, this idea that we have been buried with Christ, we died with him, and we are resurrected with him. All of this is pictured in baptism. You see, it says that we have been buried with Christ. We are united with him. If you're taking notes today, the first point was that the baptism is a sign of cleansing from sin. The second point is this, union with Christ. We're buried with him. We're resurrected with him. We live a new life in him. Do you, do you see that there in Romans 6, verse 3? It says that we have been baptized into Christ, and we were baptized into his death. We are in Christ. If I take this $5 bill and I put it in my wallet, the, the truth of the matter is what happens to the wallet now happens to the $5 bill. If I, if I put my wallet in my pocket, the $5 bill is also in the pocket. If I throw my wallet across the room, the $5 bill goes across 
the room. If I take my wallet into a thrift store, which is one of my favorite activities, the $5 bill goes into the thrift store. It's highly unlikely that the $5 bill will make it on its way out because I love a good bargain. But what happens to the wallet happens to the $5 bill because the $5 bill is in the wallet. What happens to Jesus happens to us because we are into, we are in Christ. We are baptized into him. You see, when Jesus died, we died with him. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. That when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, part of us died. The old self, the part that loved sin and hated God, the part that wanted to rebel against God, that part of us died. Our core identity was permanently changed and transformed. Every time there is a salvation, there is also a funeral. The old self is put to death. That's really what, what Paul is really trying to get at in the whole book of Romans. Considering, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God because we've been baptized into Christ's death. When a, when a believer in Jesus Christ gets baptized, they go under the water. It's like a death. They're not breathing under there. It's like a burial. And they're saying, that death that Jesus died should have been me. I deserve to die for my sin. But I am identifying myself. I am having union with Christ which is being symbolized in me going under the water as a burial. I am being united with Christ in this way. So the old self is buried. But then he goes on to say in verse 4, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so, yes, we go under the water. We're not breathing, but we don't stay under there. Yes, we are dead, but we are also brought up out of the water, which is a picture of new life. We have been given a new heart to fulfill the prophecies that are given in the book of Jeremiah and the book of Ezekiel. A heart that flows rivers of living water like Jesus said in John chapter 7. We have new desires and a new identity. The old self that wanted to rebel against God and that loved sin has been transformed into the new self, the new identity that loves God and loves to follow him, that hates sin and wants to put it to death. So we have, been, we have died and we have been raised. And baptism symbolizes those things through immersion. And we are in Christ. So what happens to Christ happens to us. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he died the death that we deserve to die. He was treated the way that we deserve to be treated. As he was united to us and as we are united to him, now we get treated the way only he deserves to be treated. The only person who deserves to go to heaven is the person who came from heaven, Jesus Christ. But because we are united with him, because we are like the $5 bill that is in the wallet, when Christ was, was being crucified and put to death, we were put to death, death with him. When Christ was raised, we were raised with him. When Christ is exalted to be in the presence of the Father, we are being exalted. To be in God's presence, the place where we don't deserve to be. He was treated the way we deserve to be treated. 
so that we could be treated the way only he deserves to be treated. Remember when Jesus was baptized? And John the Baptist at first was like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not worthy, I can't baptize, I'm not worthy to untie your shoes, Jesus, I can't baptize you. And Jesus said it's necessary to fulfill, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus needed to be completely obedient in every way. He needed to be a holy and perfect sacrifice. John was being used by God to command people to be baptized. Jesus had to follow that command. So Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. And as he came up out of the water, heaven broke open, a dove descended, a voice, the voice of the Father said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Loved ones, loved ones, when we are in Christ, we hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved son or this is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. Doesn't matter what all the voices are saying around us. Doesn't matter what our biological family is saying or our friends are saying or our coworkers are saying or our culture is saying. Loved ones, when we think about baptism, we're reminded about what does God say about us? That as we are found in Christ, we are his beloved sons and daughters with whom he is well pleased. So baptism is a sign of cleansing of sin. It's a sign of union with Christ. And lastly, it's a sign of membership in the church. It's a sign of membership in the church. You see, when God says, behold, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, that, that means that we are brought into the family of God. That's what the church is. The, the universal church is the, is the gathering together of every believer of all in all places and from all times, past, present, and future. It's a spiritual entity. And baptism is a physical event that happens in a physical local church. I don't mean in a church building, but in the context of a local body of Christ to show that that believer is part of the universal body of Christ. Turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. We're going to look at how baptism really highlights the fact that we are part of the body of Christ, that we are to be members, not just of the universal church, but also members of a local church. Baptism and membership are interconnected. Physical baptism has a spiritual meaning behind it. And, and our participation in the universal church must have a, an application in a local church. Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 26 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, there's the language of union again, baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And look at what he says. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Think about what he's saying here. Think about what this means for our identity. He says Jew or Greek. He starts with the, eth the ethnicity issue. And then he says, slave or free. He, he then dives into the, the issue of uh, so socioeconomics and, and geopolitics. And then he gets into male and female. Then he enters into uh, gender differences. And loved ones, we live in a world 
right now, where now more than ever, where we are looking at ethnicity and we are looking at an economics and politics and we are looking at gender and people are being categorized and positioned into uh, oppressed and oppressor and we are looking at the intersection of how, of, of how a gender affects a race, affects a, a socioeconomic a status, and we're trying to uh, create a new hierarchy or, or take apart the existing hierarchy or deconstruct whatever we have and trying to explain everything that's gone wrong in the world or, or every way to make it right is to create these different divisions and these, these distinctions about how we are to categorize people. And Paul says, no, you have been baptized into Christ. That means that you are a member of the universal church. That means that that is expressed as a member in the local church. And that means that you are one. Your ethnicity doesn't define you. You are one. Your gender doesn't define you. You are one. Your socioeconomic status doesn't define you. You are one. You are one. We are one in Christ as his body. That's what Galatians 3 communicates to us. Turn over to uh, the next book, uh, the book of Ephesians. Find Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to our call. One Lord, one faith. Notice this, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are one body because there is one baptism. And that baptism is not just a picture of our union with Christ. It is also a picture of our union with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that that must be absolutely vital to who we are and how we live and how we think about the world. We no longer just think about ourselves in terms of our own personal identity. We no longer think about ourselves in terms of ethnicity or in terms of gender or in terms of our economic status. We we identify ourselves in relation to our local brothers and sisters in Christ, our relationship to the church. Loved ones, this is, where it, this is where it starts. This is what baptism means. When we get baptized, we recognize we need to be cleansed from our sin. And we, 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 the only way to be cleansed from our sin is through union with Christ. And because we are united with Christ, we are also united as members of a local church. The church is a building. Baptism is the doorway in. It's the, it's the cry of a newborn in the family of God. It's the passport for us who are ambassadors serving in the embassy. Go back with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. It says, Now those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day 3,000 souls. The local church at Jerusalem had people who were added to their church. When someone is being baptized in a local church, it is right for that person to become a member of that local church. Those who received the word, they were baptized. They, they weren't infants because an infant can't receive the word. They 
heard the word, they responded to it. The response was baptism. That's where it started. And then as we continue to go through the series, we're going to see what that leads to. Once you start, what does membership look like? It says that there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people were baptized. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer. You see, baptism is physical and visible. Immersion in water to show uh, our burial and union with Christ and our cleansing from sin. And it happens with local believers in a local church to show that we belong to the universal church. The visible and the, sp and the visible and the physical show the spiritual and the invisible. Just as your physical baptism shows your spiritual union with Christ and your spiritual cleansing from sin, being baptized and participating in a local church shows your, par your participation in the universal church. So how do, we, how do we apply this passage today? Well, it's, it's pretty clear if you haven't been baptized and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to, you need to understand that, that the New Testament makes it really clear. The New Testament simply assumes that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you are to be baptized. And so your next step is to, is to get baptized, is to take our baptism course, which is coming up, and to learn about the meaning of baptism and also to learn about the meaning of church membership. Now, if you, if you already have been baptized, hopefully this has been an encouragement and a reminder uh, for you, but I, I want to press you on this third point. To be baptized as a believer naturally flows into being a member of a local church. Are you a member of Hope Church Mississauga or whatever church that you attend or are associated with? Are you all in? Are you part of one body? Are you devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to the Word of God and to giving and to fellowship? Because a baptized believer needs to be a member of a local church. Those two things go hand in hand. And if you are a baptized believer and you are a member of a local church, then just simply be reminded of these glorious truths. All of us can just be still and allow these truths to saturate and permeate into our lives, that we are cleansed from our sin, that we have union with Christ, and that we are part of his body, the local church. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take your word right now. I pray for those, Lord, who are not yet believers of Jesus Christ or who are believers of Jesus and have not yet been baptized, I pray that just like Peter's words in Acts 2, cut to the heart, I pray, Lord, that you would bring the necessary conviction for people to walk in obedience, obedience in baptism, obedience in living as members of a local church. Lord, we love you and thank you for your pray that you would help us to delight in these truths and apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name.